Uh, he's in this room. I don't know if you're excited about that, but he's in the room. I don't know if that ministers to you. It does me. He's in the room. He's in the room. Hallelujah. Every Sunday morning, we have a serve team rally, and it's all those who are uh, volunteering and serving. We get together at 9 a.m. in the virtual ed room. If you, don't, if you don't have a place where you're currently serving, or you don't know where to serve, you don't know where to find your place to serve or volunteer, join us at 9 a.m. in the serve team rally. They're, they're always fun. Uh, this morning, we have a devotion every morning. You never know what you're going to get back there. And... Uh, if you don't know where that, where the virtual ed room is or any of those kinds of things, you can always ask one of the ushers or staff, anybody, any of our leaders know, you know where that's at. When, when and where to be, don't miss out. Be there. But this morning we had a devotional. We do devotion every morning. And I want to read this morning's devotion just for the, just, just because, you know. So if, you, if this bothers you, I'm sorry. But it was a good devotion and I wanted to share it. It's, it was too good to not share. So it's out, of, uh, it's out of I Hear His Whispers. If you're looking for a great devotional book, I Hear His Whispers. It's written by the same guy who wrote the Passion Translation Bible. Um, and they're just really quick little devotions every day. I'd encourage you to get, if you don't have a devotional life, start with this. This is a good one to start with. But it's out of Psalm 16, verse 9. It says, my heart and soul explode. Everybody say explode. My heart and soul explode with joy, full of glory. Even my body will rest confident and secure. Here's the devotion. It says, I have equipped you for battle. I will stand before you, beside you, and behind you. My gift is victory today. My promise is victory tomorrow. How you rest in this promise of victory will determine your level of peace and joy today and in the future. Did I not say to my disciples in the midst of their storm, be brave and don't be afraid. I am here. These are the words I say to you today. Shout for joy. Shout for joy. <laughs> shake off discouragement. So we need to shout and shake. Shake and shout. <laughs> oh, those crazy Pentecostals, they're getting a little out of hand. Sometimes you need to put some action to it. Shake it off, shout it out. Do all that I have called you to do with sacred delight, for I am blessing you beyond measure more than a hundredfold. Yeah, yeah, more than. Let your joyous laughter, <laughs> let your, everybody say ha ha, <laughs> let your joyous laughter be heard in your home and in the midst of trials. Laugh in the face of adversity, laugh in the face of adversity, let joy become your war cry. Hold nothing back, for the enemy is threatened when you taste my joy. Enter into my gladness. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. That's what Paul said. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Then watch what I will do to change your situation. Woo, <laughs> Woo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, then, <laughs> joy will launch you into the new place I am calling you to. Today is the day made for you, so rejoice, 
So rejoice and be filled with gladness, for I am your God. <laughs> Whew. Well, that was good. <laughs> rejoice, be filled with joy. You know, people say things like, well, I'm happy in my heart. Well, your face needs to know it. Because some of you this morning, I don't know that your face knows your heart's happy. But, but the Bible says that when out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth, what? It laughs, right? If, you're, if your heart is happy, then your mouth is going to be filled with joy. Right? Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So out of the abundance of what's in your heart. Yeah, so it's, it's okay to laugh in church. It's okay to laugh in the joy of the Lord Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He's overflow. He's abundance. He's an abundance of joy. He's not just a laugh here or there. He's an abundance. He'll keep you laughing all day long, every minute of the day. He's he's he'll keep you rolling in laughter. <laughs> Ask me how I know. I've rolled in laughter before. <laughs> Literally. Anyway, enough of that. Be depressed. Go back to your depression. <laughs> Never mind. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> we had a meeting here this week, and Pastor Grace led worship. And after that, wow, the presence of God, that was just so beautiful. I'm like, isn't that what we want? beautiful. I mean, yeah, he's beautiful. Anyway, I'll get off that. Yes, we love the presence of the Lord. He's tangible here. He's beautiful here. <laughs> oh, like, what is he doing? Just, I'm, I'm, just hang with me. So we're, we're in this series called Wholeness, and uh, we're going to pick back up today with wholeness. That doesn't mean you have to stop, stop with the joy. <laughs> that, should in, that should be increasing your joy, that you're filled with wholeness. Whole. You are complete in Christ. Amen. You know, we, we have the tendency through life. Uh, by the way, I'm preaching to, I should tell you what I'm preaching. I'm preaching on wholeness. But I'm, I'm going to talk about running free today. You're going to run free run free. If you've had things holding you back, weighing you down, it's time to run free. Let go. Paul wrote in Hebrews, he said, lay aside every weight that hinders you. So there, if you're going to lay aside a weight, you've got to recognize the weight. You've got to take a look at that weight. And a lot of times what we want to do as Christians is ignore the fact that we have weights that we have to deal with. But we have weights that we've got to deal with. And we have a tendency as we go through life to pick up the weights Weights from our family of origin, right? Family you were born into. Say, was I was adopted? I didn't even know. That it doesn't matter. There, it's in your DNA. <laughs> Do you know that your DNA contains? You know, this is interesting. I, I, because this is part of what I, you know, I love science and I love to study. Do your DNA, your family of origin, can pass along? traits that affect your DNA without you even knowing it. Scientifically, there are, there are 
experiences that your parents and your grandparents had wasn't written into their DNA code, but because of those experiences, it affected how the DNA shows up. And because of that, it's passed on to you. You, you didn't even ask for it. You didn't even know what you didn't even know that experience happened, but it's affecting how your DNA is interpreted in present day. It's a weight. And then there's things that we believe and pick up from those families of origin that we don't even know. We pick them up. We pick up offenses and hurts as we go along. People hurt us. They offend us. And then we try to fix everybody else's problems, and we pick up their problems, too. I sure hope Toomey makes great bags, because we're about ready to find out. And then, and, then, and then you pick up you know, stories along your journey and experiences, right? We store away the, the, our brain. There's actually a part of our brain that stores all of our experiences and issues and everything that we have. And our brain is always trying to find the most efficient way to process information. So when things happen in life, it just defaults to all those stories and things that we've picked up along the way. Another weight. And then you experience trauma in life. Anybody experienced any trauma? You experience trauma in life. Someone hurts you. Situations hurt you. And, and we know scientifically that our bodies pick up the weights. Our neurological system pick up those weights. And our brain picks up those weights. And, and we don't even pick up the whole story. The, we know scientifically that we pick up segments of the story. We, we remember certain aspects of that story. Have you ever been in a car accident before? And what do the police do when they come out to the scene? They interview you, they interview the other person, they interview other witnesses. Why? Because nobody ever has the full story. The brain never remembers the full story in, in, in sequential order. We pick up bits and pieces and we store these weights in our bodies and our brains. And then before you know it, we have all these things. Oh gosh. <laughs> Toomey does good. <laughs> All, all these things that we're now carrying around, and after a while, you know, right now this isn't heavy, but after a while, if I keep carrying this, it's going to get pretty heavy, right? It's going to weigh, weigh down. I'm going to have to go see Dr. Orr and get my back fixed and, and, and get to see the chiropractor and let him work on my back. Right? Because this gets heavy. And we go through life carrying these weights and these issues, and we have no idea that we're even carrying all that stuff still around. And then when we hear scriptures at church like, cast aside every, every weight, lay it aside, run with perseverance. Like, I don't, don't care. I'm not carrying anything. And we have no idea because we've been carrying the weight for so long. We're just bent over and don't even know it. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. Y'all know it's true because we get used to just, it's just like having, you know, certain things like your watch on. Eventually you get used to your watch being there or rings or things like you just get used to them being on you because it's just part of, it becomes part of you and your, your neurological system gets used to them being there. And it's the same way in life. We just get used to those things hanging around our neck and have no idea that we're being weighed down. True life in Christ enables us to live joyfully free in the present. It requires, however, dealing with the weights of the past that have attached themselves to us to continue running free into the future. We pick up things like, have you ever seen the boats with all the barnacles on the bottom of them? 
we start carrying things around. Those barnacles slow down the speed of the boat, and they, they use up all the fuel of the boat, so you have to clean off the barnacles. You've got a bunch of crustaceans attached to you, and today... <laughs> Not really, I hope not. But today, we're going to deal with the weights. We're going to deal with the barnacles that are holding you back. Sound good? Oh, that was about a third of you. The rest of you hopefully will catch up. It's okay. I told the staff this week what I was preaching, and they said they were all going to call off sick. <laughs> it's okay. You know, and I just, the reason I say that is because we all have to face our issues, and it's never fun. We all have to face the things that are preventing us from being whole in order to live free. If you want to live free, if you want to run free, you have to face the things that hold you back. We have to be willing to, fl- to face not only the blessings that are passed down from generation to generation, but we also have to be willing to face the sins that are passed down from generation to generation. Discipleship, everybody say discipleship. That wasn't everybody. Let's try it again. Everybody say discipleship. There we go. It's getting better. Discipleship. How many of you want to be disciples? I want to be a disciple. I want to be an ongoing learner, follower of Christ. And it requires that I have to face these things and grow up and be complete in him. Tell somebody next to you, grow up. (laughs) Got to face those hard things. When the Bible uses the word family, it refers to our entire extended family over three to four generations. That means your family in the biblical sense. When we talk about biblical family, it's talking about your brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-uncles. If we were to put it in modern terms, all the way back to the 1800s. So when we talk about family in a biblical sense, we're going all the way back, understanding that our family lineage or the family that we come from has the greatest impact, one of the greatest impacts on our lives. Here's what Exodus 20 says about our family. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to what? The third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 34, God echoes the same thing to Moses. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. When when David uh, went to uh, Bathsheba, you remember the story. This is what God said to David. He said, Therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So there was, even though, what did God say of David? You're a man after my own heart, right? God loved David, and David was the, became the lineage. Jesus was the offspring of of David out of that household. 
Are you all out there this morning? And yet God still said, the sword will never depart from your house. There was a, the sin of his house followed, and you can see that in, in David's life. In Genesis, in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, you can see this pattern that continues in the life of Abraham. Abraham, we, we talk about being descendants, and, and we receive the blessing of Abraham, right? How many of you know you are a recipient? You are a recipient of the blessing of Abraham. God told Abraham, I will bless you. You'll be a blessing to the nations, a blessing on your... How many of you remember? Are you all out there this morning? You all mad at me because I'm talking about your past? Okay, so... Just like Abraham had the blessing of God on his life, we can follow in Genesis the same pattern of sin. Remember, Abraham, there's a pattern of lying. Abraham lied twice about Sarah. You go to his child, Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Jacob lied to almost everyone. Matter of fact, his name meant deceiver. Ten of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, faked a funeral, and kept a family secret for more than ten years. Lies, deception. There was a pattern of favoritism. Abraham favored Ishmael. Remember, Abraham couldn't have a son, and so it, there was Ishmael that came out of all of that. And he favored, the Bible says that he favored Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. Jacob favored Joseph and later became, uh, it was Benjamin, favored J Benjamin. Brothers were cut off from one another in each generation. Abraham and Lot were, Lot was Abraham's nephew, but they were like brothers. Abraham separated from Lot. Remember, Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah and that, and that whole story. So Abraham was separated from Lot. Isaac was separated from Ishmael. We're still dealing with the results of that separation. We're still dealing with the result of that sin present day. The war in Israel and all that's happening in the Middle East is, is Isaac and Ishmael. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Jacob fled his brother Esau and was cut off for years. Joseph was cut off from his bro brothers more than a decade. Remember, they sold him into slavery and he went and worked for Potiphar. Poor marriages. Abraham had a child with the servant Hagar. I'd say that was a poor marriage. Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebekah. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. Problems. Y'all out there. So not only do we see the pattern of blessing on Abraham's life, but the same pattern of sin and issues follow the generations. The patterns that we pick up in life from our family often stem from the messages, either vocalized messages that have been said or things that we have observed and we've received them. What are some of the messages you've received in your family? Can I encourage you today for the sake of your children and your children's children and your children's children's children that you break the cycle. Change the story. Change the narrative. By the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony, it's time to change the storyline in your family. Maybe some, of the, maybe some of these stories would sound familiar to you. They do to me. Money is the best source of security. You must make a lot of money to prove you're somebody. All stories that we're, we pick up in life, right? Avoid conflict at all costs. Sadness is a sign of weakness. Anybody heard that? You owe your parents for all they've done for you. Don't ask for help. Don't talk about your problems. 
People will always let you down. They're idiots. <laughs> Stories we pick up along the way. Don't marry a person of another race. Come on now, don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. We got quiet in here. Stories we pick up along the way. Success means you have to go to the best school, have the best marriage, have the best children. Feelings are not okay. The man is the primary breadwinner for the family. These are false stories, by the way. These are stories we pick up along the way. The woman is second to the man. Come on now. You must achieve or perform to be loved. I'll stop. Y'all got the idea. I feel like we're just wading out into deeper, deeper waters. Everybody's seeing the stories that they've heard and picked up along the way. But here's what happens. We've, we've picked up from whether family of origin or life, our own experience, we've picked up these stories that don't really serve us very well and keep us bound to lies and beliefs that keep us from running full speed ahead. They're like those barnacles or the bricks. They're the things that weigh us down. But here's what happens. When you come to Christ, all things are made new. All things are made new. And so in Christ, those stories can change. In Christ, the patterns and the lies and the beliefs in your life can change. In 2 Corinthians, we're told that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. That means that the old order, the old way of doing things, the old stories, the old patterns, the lying, the favoritism, the marriage issues, the whatever, all of those things are done away with. They're pushed aside and a new order, a new way of living has come. You can live a new life, a new way of living in Christ. In Hebrews, we're told that he's opened up a new and living way for us. We're not held back by the old order of things, but Christ opens up a new and living way in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. Colossians 3, we're continually being renewed. This is a process of ongoing, perpetual renewal. Colossians 3 says you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed. There's a new life for you. There's a new way of living for you. So when we come to Christ, here's some of the things that happen for you and I. This is a, there's a new order. What's the new order? What's the new way of living? If, if God's making all things new and, and the old lies no longer exist and the old patterns no longer exist, then what's the way we are to live? Number one, we have to live that God is our Father. When we've brought it, been spiritually reborn, when, we, when we're brought into Christ, all of a sudden we have a new Father. We're no, are y'all out there? We're no longer living after the Father, our old Father, the devil. Jesus told the religious, you, you live, you're full of lies, just like the father, your father, the devil. We no longer live according to the father of lies. We have a new way of living. Our God becomes our father. 
If you're here this morning and, and maybe you're adopted or maybe you feel like your father abandoned you, God is your father. In Christ, he's writing a new story. It may be that your father abandoned you. He was never present. He was not loving, whatever the case might be. But God has become your father in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, from the Passion Translation, it says, Yet for us, there is only one God, the Father. Out of Him is all things, and our lives are lived for Him. And there was one Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, through whom we and all things exist. Do you all have that in the Passion? Hopefully they'll catch up with my notes from the Passion Translation. Because I want you to be able to hear this in the Passion. It says, yet for us there is only one God, the Father. Out of Him is all things, and our lives are lived for Him. God has made you His. You're identified by your Father. You know, I, there's, there's this curse, and maybe you all have experienced this curse. And I use the word curse lightly, it's a joke. But, you know, when people see my dad, they're like, oh... He or his son. Like there's, there's a clear connection between the visible, right? Maybe your, your parents, you have the same kind of connection that when, they, when someone sees you and sees your family next to you, like, oh yeah, that's definitely your dad. You're definitely so-and-so's son. Have you ever heard that before? You're definitely his son. You're definitely her daughter. Well, when we are in Christ, we have a new nature. We have a new father. And we look like, or we ought to look like, our father. So he changes our life. We are identified by him. And we start taking on his nature. We start looking like him. In Ephesians 1, it says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father. Our Father, our Heavenly Father has blessed us with every love gift, every spiritual blessing. Number two, our sins are forgiven. When we're in Christ, we have a new way of living. Our sins have been forgiven. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we freely admit our sins... When his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive every time. He's faithful to forgive your sin every time. Whatever things have haunted you from your past, whatever sin, whatever disobedience, whatever issue is lurking in the closet, tormenting you, every time you turn a corner, you feel that thing rising up. In Christ, your sins have been forgiven doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or the issue that you've faced. In Christ, your sins have been washed clean. God is just to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9 says God is just to forgive us of our sins because of Christ. And he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. He makes us new. He washes away the account that's against you. In Christ, your sins are forgiven. The old order is gone. The old lies, the old tapes are gone. And your sins have been washed away. So when the lie comes up, well, you remember when you did this. Remember when you said that. Remember when that happened. Remember those things. When that comes up, you can remember 1 John 1, 9. Your sins have been washed away. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I thought so. I'll encourage myself. 
We are given a new spirit of adoption in Christ. In Christ, you have a new spirit of adoption. You're no longer identified, again, by your old family, the old way of doing things. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and your family heritage isn't that great. You're like, I, I don't want to be known by that, the old ways of doing it. Maybe your family heritage is great. In Christ, He gives you an even better heritage. In Ephesians 1.13, out of the Amplified, it says, In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result you believed in Him, you were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. When you came to Christ, you have the seal, the mark of God on your life. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have a new spirit living on the inside of you. You're no longer spiritually dead, but you've been made spiritually alive. Ezekiel tells us that he's given us a new heart. He's taken out the stony heart. He's taken out the heart of, of stone, the heart of uh, spiritual apathy. He's taken out the lazy spiritual heart, and he's given you a new spiritual awareness, a new spiritual appetite, new spiritual desires where you didn't used to desire spiritual things. Maybe the lies and the old, the old way of living, the backpack of, of bricks that you've carried around, maybe this backpack of bricks tells you that, that you can never be good enough. You'll, you never have a desire for spiritual things and spiritual realities aren't real to you. All of a sudden, when you're in Christ, spiritual realities become real to you. What I'm preaching to you this morning isn't just ideas or good concepts. It's the reality. The Spirit of God living on the inside of you makes these things alive in your heart. And there's a desire for them in your life. When you come to Christ and you're made new in Christ, casting off the weights that weigh you down, He's dealing with the issues of your heart. Number four, He's an always present God. He's always present. We sang about it this morning. He's in the room. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. He's walking with you. When those things come up in your life, when the old way of living and the patterns and the issues and the lies and the trauma, all those things start to surface, He doesn't leave you in the middle of it. He doesn't abandon you in the middle of your storm. He doesn't abandon you in the middle of your lie. He comes to you and says, let's heal this. Let's deal with this. Let's cast it off. Let's, let's remove the weight that has ensnared you and keep running the race with freedom. He doesn't, when, you know, he doesn't come to you and I when we're in the middle of, uh, of dealing with our issues and he, he brings these things up and, and the light of God uncovers them. He doesn't leave you and abandon you and say, you're on your own now. Now that, now that we've surfaced that, now that you've seen that issue, now that that problem has surfaced in your life, you're now on your own. He doesn't beat you up. He doesn't ridicule you or, or, or tell you how horrible you are because those things have surfaced in your life. He comes to bring healing and restoration. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Hebrews 13, out of the Amplified, says, let your character 
your moral essence, your inner nature. Be free from the love of money. Shun greed. Be financially ethical, being content with what you have. For he has said, I will never under any circumstance desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. Nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd. In the time of need, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He'll not let go of you. He's not going to release his hold of you. The, the Amplified says here, he'll not forsake you, let you down, relax his hold. He's with you to the end. Do you have Romans out of the Passion? I want to read this to you, the Romans 8 out of the Passion. Hopefully you have it. I'm going to read it to you whether it's on the screen or not. Because this, this is a powerful passage. You know, I, I, I promise I sent my notes and my, my scriptures so that you could have these. If you don't have them, uh, by the way, if, if they don't show up on the screen, you'll get them. They're posted in Realm every week on our website. This is a great place to stop and promo that you can find the messages and the sermon notes on the website. So if, you, if you're missing them, you can always get them online. But here's what a Romans 8, 31 through 39 out of the Passion says. I love this. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For if he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn since he is continually praying for our triumph? Who could ever divorce us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love what about persecutions deprivations dangers death threats no for they are all impotent to hinder the omnipotent love even though it is written all day long we face death threats for your sake we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors and has demonstrated love is in his glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death 
life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that can be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. His love, he's pouring out. He's present. He's present with you right now. He's present in your circumstance right now. He's sitting beside you right now. He's with you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. And if he's with you, then his love, the abundance, the copious nature of his love, the overflowing, the abundant, the Bible says of his fullness. Everybody say of his fullness. Of his fullness, of his abundance we've received. That abundance is with you right now. The abundance, if it's peace, he's got abundance of peace. If it's joy, it's abundance of joy. If it's love, it's an abundance of love. Everything that you have need of is right with you right now. You've been given a new name, number five. You've been given a new name in God. In Isaiah 56, 5, To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. He's giving you a new identity, a new name in Christ. Revelation. I love the picture here in Revelation 2 that it says, But the... But the but the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is presently saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will let him feast on the hidden manna and give him a shining white stone. And written upon that white stone is inscribed a new name known to the one who receives it. He'll give you a new a stone with a new name. What that signifies in, in Bible times when you were to go to a wedding feast or an event or any sort of activity like that where you had to have an invitation to come that you would receive a, a white stone and when you would go or, or a stone and when you would go to check into the event you had to have your stone it was like your RSVP it was it was your way of saying I received an invitation and I'm here by invitation here's my stone and so when when Jesus spoke of the white stone in Revelation, it's this idea that he's given you white, this radiant white, white garment, forgiven, holiness, uh, called out by his name. You've been identified by his purity, his righteousness, and he's given you a new name. So that when you step into heaven, you've got your RSVP. Your RSVP isn't based on your heavenly or your earthly identity. Your, your RSVP to heaven isn't based on an earthly identity or an earthly way of doing things. You've been given a new stone, a, a white stone, a stone with his righteousness, a stone with the name that Jesus has given given to you. So you're showing up in heaven, not on your account, not on your works, not on who you are, but because of who Jesus is. He's giving you a stone. Hallelujah. A new name. He's given you a new name. He's given you a new inheritance. The Bible says in Romans 14, 17 that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You have a new way of living that includes a new inheritance. You didn't have an inheritance before. You know what your inheritance was before? Death and destruction. The wages of sin is death. You didn't have 
You didn't have an inheritance. You had to work for everything that you had. Sin is, you have to earn it. The, the destruction, the death that comes with sin, you have to work at sin. You have to work at, at oppression. You have to work at, at, at the weights and the cares of this world. But when Jesus comes, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the, what, the gift, everybody say gift. The gift of God is eternal life. You've been given a free gift. Freedom is a gift that comes from Christ. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. Your inheritance comes to you not by something that you've earned or labored for. It's not something that you've stored away, that you've saved up. It is a free gift that comes in Christ. The Bible tells us that we're co-heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ. Everything that's His is yours. Well, I'm good five of you are excited about that. It's a tough crowd this morning. If you're not careful, you can be distracted by everybody getting up and moving around and the, the audiovisual and all the things that work or don't work. Hey, listen, at some point, we just got to move on. Right? You're given a new inheritance in Christ. Everything that Christ has is yours. What does that mean for your life? What does that mean for the weights and the cares? Well, if you're carrying around all the junk from the past, why would you do that if, if Christ has come and the inheritance in Christ is your freedom? Um, Jesus, I think I like these weights I'm carrying. I think I, I think I like how they feel. I think, I think I like what they remind me of. I'm, I'm comfortable with these things now. And, and how foolish does that sound when your inheritance is freedom? How foolish does it sound if the, if the storyline that you've picked up is that, that money and prosperity is a problem when Jesus says that he wants to make every spiritual blessing available to you? Y'all got quiet. Why, why? It sounds so foolish to say, well, God wants me to stay broke and, and impoverished and indebted. It sounds, it sounds so foolish to say when it's like, it's like standing at the ocean, at the edge of the ocean and saying, I'll take my, my little cup of water. That's all I need. I'll take my little glass of water. When you're standing at the, at the precipice of an ocean of water. And those are, that's how we treat the realities of Christ. We say things like, oh, I'm comfortable with my sin and my issues and whatever the, the storyline is, the weight. I'm comfortable with all those things. When God says, you're at an ocean, you're, you're at the precipice of an ocean of blessing and breakthrough and freedom and abundance and joy and peace and, and goodness and mercy and all of, the, all of the things that come in your inheritance. Why would you stop with just the cup full when you can have the ocean? You have an inheritance in Christ. You say me. 
I have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. God does it. I'm going to circle back because I, 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 I felt a little bit of resistance when I said God doesn't want you to live broke and busted and impoverished. I felt a little bit of, little bit of tug there. We have these stories in our, whether it's family of origin or experiences or whatever. Well, because you're, because you're a, a Christian, you have to suffer and, and not have things and be impoverished and life has to be in disarray. And Is anybody out there? That's not, that's not the life that God's called you to live. God has not called you to live a life that's broken. God's not called you to live a life impoverished. He hasn't called you to live a life in debt. The inheritance of Jesus for your life is prosperity and blessing and breakthrough. You know, there's this we tell stories in the church, too. Not only do we pick up stories from families and our experiences, but we pick up stories in the church world, too. We, speak, we pick up stories like the prosperity, the prosperity gospel is the, the whole prosperity gospel is wrong. Or we pick up messages like the word of faith message is wrong, and we carry those. And then anytime anybody says anything about prosperity or faith, oh, no, we can't listen to that because that's wrong. Well, I got news for you. You're wrong. <laughs> I got, I've got good news for you. You are wrong. <laughs> if that's what you believe, well, the whole prosperity gospel is wrong, or the whole word of faith, that's wrong, or the healing, this or that's wrong, or speaking in tongues is wrong, or we, whatever, well, it's wrong. It's wrong because you don't like it. You've picked up a story somewhere along the way, and instead of going to say, what does the Scripture say, you've gone off of what somebody told you. Because the Bible says that God wants you to live in abundance and breakthrough. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily equate to a dollar amount, and, and for every situation that might be different. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to drive around in a Rolls Royce and fly a Cessna, you know, whatever. That doesn't, that's not what that means. But it does mean that God has a plan for prosperity in your life, and you get to steward it. What it means is you get to have what you can steward. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. You get to have what you, what you steward. Jesus said, give and it will what? There you go. Prosperity. I, I'm going to stay over here. This side is really with me. That side's I'm not sure. Cliff, I'll preach to you. I want to live in blessing. I want to live in prosperity. And if you, you know, the same is true for healing. You know, we get these ideas, well, the, the healing, it got quiet in here. I must be stepping on toes this morning. I'm not intending to do so, but I'm, maybe it's needed. We pick up stories about healing. Well, 
I can't be healed. I've been diagnosed. You know, or, or healing isn't for everyone. <laughs> is, is Jesus the healer or ain't he? You say, well, I know so-and-so that didn't get healed and all the things. And so you're going to base truth off of someone else's experience? The truth is the truth, regardless of what someone else experienced or didn't experience. He's still the healer. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I'll encourage myself in the Lord. Good job. Or the faith message. Oh, those word of faith people. They're crazy. <laughs> Everything's about faith. Well, are you not saved by faith? Through grace? I mean, the whole foundation of everything that we eat, breathe, live, teach, everything, it's all faith. Uh, virgin birth. Faith. Let's just start there. God spoke and the worlds came into existence. Let there be faith. Let's, I, were you there? I wasn't. Faith. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who haven't seen and believe. Faith is the reality of the unseen. It's, it's, it's the tangible essence. So when we come to Christ, you know, these, these stories can be more real than our faith. These things we're carrying around, we, we feel them, we've experienced them. They, they seem to be more tangible than faith. Faith says, okay, this story that I'll never be good enough. This story that I've been carrying around that I'll never be good enough. It feels pretty real. I've been told that my whole life. I've been lied about and all the things. It feels pretty real. I'll never be good enough. And, and I don't know. But here's what faith says. Faith says... You're right, in my own works, I'm not good enough. But Christ came, and I have a new identity. I have a new way of living, and in Him I am enough. He has made me enough. I'm, I'm valuable in His eyes. I'm so valuable that He died for me. I'm so valuable that He came and redeemed my life. Not because of what I've done. I didn't earn it, but because of who He is. That's faith. Okay, well, I don't need that one anymore. Faith says... I don't have to live in this. You have to live in debt and you, you can never get ahead. You can never get ahead. You live in debt. That's not what faith says. Faith says that every spiritual blessing has been made available to me. Every blessing in the Lord. I, I don't have to continue on in debt. I can get my finances in order. And it starts with tithing. I got to start tithing. I got to start giving. To him who gives will be given back. I saw a post online the other day. One of my friends, I thought it was a great post, and I'll just echo it. And they said, you know, people say things like, you can never be happy. Uh, money will never make you happy. You know, money can never make you happy. And their post, people who say that have never given a lot of money away. Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you've, if you've learned to be a giver, you learn, you understand how happy, how happy it is to give. You start writing that, you know, 
$10 check or $50 check. It may start off just as, as a small amount, but you then you start writing the $1,000 checks and the $10,000 checks and the $50 or $60 or $70 or $100,000 check. You start learning. It's real happy to give. But it's got to start somewhere. You've got to find the joy in, in giving the dollar. If you, if you haven't learned to appropriate your faith for the dollar, you'll never appropriate faith for 100000 You have an inheritance. Hallelujah. You have a new family. Number seven, you've been given a new family. My little, I don't know what time it is because my little iPad that sits up here and tells me what's on the screen and the time, it's not here. It disappeared today. So I'm going to preach for another hour. Whoever moved it, be on, you, you, can, you can deal with whoever moved my iPad about the time. You've been given a new family. 1 John 3, 1 says, Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that He has lavished on us. He has called us and made us His very own beloved children. Take a look at who's next to you. Take a look at around the church. These are your family. If you've been, if you're part of the family of God, you've got new brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> Ephesians says you're not foreigners or guests, but you are children. You're not foreigners or guests, but you are children of the city of the holy ones. With all, what does it say? All the rights as family members. You have all the rights as part of the family of God. You've been given access. You've got a new name. You've been given inheritance. All of the things that come in Christ. New family. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. We've walked through, you know, as pastors, we get a, the opportunity to walk through with people and a lot of hard things and there's you know it's always awesome to hear from people you know wow you know if it wasn't for my church family you know thank God for my my natural family but if it wasn't for my church family I don't know that I would have made it through if it wasn't for my church family I couldn't have faced that if it wasn't for my church family that would have been a lot more difficult we're what people are saying is, when they say that, it's not just about a church, and, and I'm thankful for our church, and I, we have a great family, but we're part of not just the local church family, we're part of the broader family of God as well. We're family. It doesn't mean there's not issues between brother and sister at times. I can... I can tell you stories about Jonathan, Zoe, and Asher, and I won't, but they have, there's always, you know, if you have kids, you know. There's always sibling disputes. But we're family. And family doesn't run out on each other. Our spiritual, maybe that was your experience in, in earthly family, but our spiritual family doesn't run out on each other. You, you can't get rid of me. You might get offended with me, and you might leave my church, but if you're born again, I'm going to see you again someday. And you got to deal with me for all eternity. Sorry. You think I'm loud and obnoxious now, just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. If you don't like me laughing in church, just wait. 
you'll hear me carrying on all over Gabriel's street, you know, I'll be singing right around the throne laughing. Might as well get used to it now. We're family. Well, I don't like how that church does that, or I don't like the... God didn't appoint you as the ruler of his church. See, there's other stories. Let me see. There's another story in here. One of the stories we tell in church is that somehow you are the one who makes all the decisions. If you were the one who made all the decisions, your name would be pastor. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. And I can tell you, you don't want that name. Unless you're called to have the name, you don't want the name. Because it comes with great responsibility. So when I, when I look at who I am in Christ, my identity is not wrapped up in who I am in the church. Right? We talked about identities last week. It's not what I do or how I perform or the title that I wear. It's who I am in God. Who I am in Christ. Number eight, you've been given access. This is awesome. When you think about access, we didn't have the ability to access the presence of God. We're, we're, as believers, we're so used to, you know, we come in and worship this morning and His presence is here. We love His presence and all the things. And it's just how awesome it is. And His presence is so real and so tangible. I'm thankful for that. But that wasn't always the case. We didn't have access. We didn't have free access into the presence of God. In fact, talking about the title of pastor, in fact, only certain people could access his presence. And in, in order to get into his presence, it was such a fearful thing that they had to wear bells on their clothes because if they weren't where they were supposed to be and they didn't do it just right, they were goners. So now that we've been given free access, you know, sometimes I think we take it for granted when we come in and we worship or are on a personal devotion life because we've been given free access. That we didn't deserve it, but we've been given it. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have, been, through whom we have gained access by faith, we can come in to his presence by faith. We have free access into his presence. And lastly, we've been given an eternal hope. We've been given an eternal hope. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. It's not a part-time hope. Yeah, thank God. It's not just a Sunday-only hope. It's not, it's not just when things are going good, hope. It's not, it's not hope when we're not dealing with the stories. Well, I don't have hope because I'm dealing with a trial or a struggle or a tribulation. I'm having to face what happened in my past. Nope, you still have hope. His plan for your life is to have a life of peace and hope.
Here's what Jonathan Edwards said about this eternal hope. He said, by Christ's resurrection from the dead, the world has actually seen the other world. For they have seen a man after this life in another life. So the world has seen the future state in Christ accomplished by his resurrection from the dead. For his resurrection was his beginning of a future state. What a, what a powerful thought that we've tasted of another world. That you and I have tasted of another world. We have an eternal hope in Christ. When we see Christ, we see our eternal hope. Have you tasted of this hope of another world? Have you seen this hope from another world that comes in Christ? When you look at the resurrected Christ, when you see the resurrected one, you see the other world. We see that there's, for you and I, this eternal hope that's the anchor of our soul. Here's what First Peter said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection, everybody say living hope. That's, I like that. We have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not just a concept. It's not dogma. It's not religion. We have a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, perishes through, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Amen. We've been given an eternal hope. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back. We're going to receive communion together. You know, communion is a great reminder that we can cast off all the weights. You don't have to keep carrying everybody else's weight. You don't have to carry your weights. You don't have to be hindered any longer. Communion is a reminder of what we have in Christ, what we've been given in Christ. You've been, freedom has been paid for for you. I said freedom's been paid for for you. I said freedom's been paid for by you, for you. Freedom to run the race. Why don't you... Actually, don't stand. Stay seated because we're going to serve communion. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll come and help me. Thank you, Lord.